Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and a little bit of entertainment. How are we all doing? I can't believe it's the last week of February. This month flew, even though there was a lot of Groundhog Day moments and I often forgot what day of the week it was. Every day rolls into the next and I definitely think at times I have COVID brain. Well, that's what I'm calling it anyway. It's just pretty much forgetfulness. Anyway, thankfully, there are lots of signs of spring around, including brighter mornings and of course the very welcome grand stretch in the evening. We really have no excuse not to get outside for fresh air and exercise, even within our 5k radius. I know, I know, 5k is not very far, but look, it's not 2k. And I'm sure we can all find ways to mix up our training and our activities within the restrictions. And of course, with the brighter and warmer weather on the way, sure, we have no excuse really not to get out in the fresh air. It may even put a pep in your step. Speaking of pep in your step, has anyone signed up to the Irish Runner 5k this weekend? If so, let me know. I'm looking forward to ticking off the distance and using the virtual race to set a benchmark for next month's training and see how I go from there. I did a 6k run earlier today, longest I've run since July, holy moly. Uh, It's taken a lot of convincing each time to lace up and go outside the past few times, but I think I'm slowly beginning to rekindle my romance with running and the pace wasn't too shabby either. I ran in all the puddles and I splashed and giggled as much as I could. I think that was half the fun. In exciting news this week, I'm teaming up with the wonderful Helen Murray from the Inside Try Show. Check out her super podcast on all podcast platforms. We are hosting a live breakfast show called The Try Commute, taking place this Friday, 26th of February from 7.30 to 8.15 a.m. We are holding it on Zoom so you can be part of the live audience for some Friday lols and a chat with professional athlete Kimberly Morrison. We all need some fun on a Friday, so why not join us for an early breakfast and set yourself up for a feel-good Friday and a wonderful weekend. You can turn up in your PJs or you can dress to impress in your finest ball gown or lycra. The choice is yours. Register to join the session on www.trytalkingsport.com or find the link across all the socials. This week on the show, I had a great chat with Dara Feely. The 24-year-old from Roscommon has been on a roller coaster of a ride in cycling from a very young age, embarking on a professional career in sport in his late teens. He climbed the ranks, earning hard-fought places on teams and has raced all over Ireland, Europe, America, Asia and in the European and World Championship level races with Ireland. Spending a number of years abroad chasing his cycling dreams, he returned to Ireland last year, having made the decision to retire as a professional athlete. The now former pro cyclist and a member of the Irish national cycling team is currently the number one ranked category one racing cyclist in Ireland on the back of a super run of racing last season. He won nine races in 2020. In this episode, Dara candidly chats about the highs and lows of life on the road, the impact and importance of your environment and its effect on your physical and mental well-being. Returning home, Dara is now flourishing as a rider and is enjoying his role as a coach. He has gained so much as the recipient of a horde of advice from mentors and his support circle over the years that giving back to the sport and connecting with people as a coach is something he is embracing at full speed. Enjoy the show. We had a lot of fun recording this one. Dara Feely, County Roscommon. Roscommon meets Galway today. How are you? <laughs> On the way, there. Not too bad. Can't complain. I'm happy out. You're in good form. So you are, Joanne. So I'm in good form. It's amazing how the, 
the pet can rub off on one another so it is <laughs> well I'm just out of the sea and uh, despite potentially Ireland going into what they say is going to be nine weeks of another lockdown uh, I'm so glad I live close to the sea but Dara I don't think you've been getting into the water anytime soon or have been in the past getting into the water <laughs> no I think the only water I'm getting into is either the bath or puddles outside the house <laughs> <laughs> cycling through the puddles um, Dara for my listeners who are tuning into the show and wondering who's this young lad from Roscommon that I have on remind us what age you are 24 24 years of age tell us what's the story who are you and how did you get involved in sport well I got into the sport it's a funny one um I was never set out on going down the route of cycling you could say I was one of those young young lads who were involved in a number of different sports and then happened to come across cycling and through a spin with the local cycling club on St. Stephen's Day. And it's all gone from there, really. Um, I ended up racing, started racing in Ireland, was fairly successful at that, moved abroad. I went for professional for a year. I was living abroad for four years. Um, and look, it's I can't really write it. You know, it's nothing that I planned on doing and it's amazing how just one thing leads to another and this happens and that happens and between living just outside Monaco for two years to racing in China Japan America everywhere it's been a hell of a hell of a ride and last year I returned to Ireland and I decided to just take a bit of a step back so for 2020 and I was racing in Ireland and I ended up having one of the best seasons I've ever had I won nine races and what was a very short-lived season on the COVID front but look it is what it is and I was there thereabouts nearly every race I turned up to and it's amazing how just years like that come out of nowhere more so um, and that's about it really you know there's not much to say other than that I'm a lad from Roscommon um, strong Roscommon accent and <laughs> that's about it <laughs> So we may as well just kill the podcast there so you've told the whole story in about 10 seconds that's it Sherlock um, you'll be putting it up in about 10 minutes will you <laughs> there'll be no editing on this show um dara a, a, a little bird told me you might have been a little bit of an irish dancer before you were a cyclist though is that true i was a jack of all trades joanne so i was now my mother initially got me into irish dancing when i was very very young and i can remember myself being up on stage in an irish dancing competition and i was absolutely mortified And at that moment in time i knew that i do not want to do this anymore <laughs> But yeah, look, it's funny how things go, you know, between Irish dancing, judo, hurling, football, to name a few, and then ended up ended up cycling uh, full time and as a professional, you know, it's amazing how the times go and, you know, you just end up in these strange positions, you could say. So what was the catalyst that you ended up picking cycling above the judo or the GAA or the Irish dancing? And should I call you Twinkle Toes from here on out? No, no, definitely not, because my dance moves are not impressive in a nightclub, I can tell you that much. So there's definitely no twinkle toes there. Um, the catalyst would have been the Christmas period where I got my new bike. And look, it was only a mountain bike at the time. And I went out and spin with the club. And, you know, that led to another week Um got a road bike. And from there, it just, you know, it took off. I wouldn't have fully committed to it until I was, you know, in my late teens, um, my father probably seen the talent that I had. He got me a 
pretty good bike um, one year and I, I said to myself, Jesus, look, he's after buying me this bike, he's after spending all this money, so I better put it to use. And because of that, um, you know, I discovered my potential on the bike, you could say, and, you know, I am where I am now, you could say. So what was the road from that mountain bike or that new fancy bike that your dad bought you that brought you to the professional ranks of, of, of cycling? Can you go into some of that in a bit more detail for us about how you went from being the young lad from Roscommon in your teens with some talent to being on the junior tour of Ireland and, and progressing further and further and then moving abroad for so many years? Yeah, it's all really started with the the club scene, you know, and I think the clubs are the main driver for a lot of, well, look, any professional athlete who, whether it's triathlon or running or cycling, they all start from club level, you could say, and that's where it started from, and it was more so through mentors and not really coaches, but just the older figures who were involved in the sport for a number of years. They were just, you know, slowly pushing you down these pathways and opening up a couple of different doors for you along the way. And that led to the Junior Tour. When I started off racing, I was absolutely rubbish. And, you know, just because I wasn't training, I wasn't commissioned fully. But then, you know, from these mentors, I learned a bit more. And look, mentors aren't these coaches that you pay your monthly fee to they're the your parents they're the older guys in the club who are you know giving you a pat on the back when you complete your first 40k those sort of people and you know that had a knock-on effect obviously the mentor becomes a bit more knowledgeable in the area as you progress you're meeting new people and you know it just ended up from the junior tour to racing abroad to racing professional to representing Ireland to a number of different things and now it's just led me to where I am now and probably in the best condition I've ever been in in terms of cycling it's of course. Before we talk about what you're at now and we, we know you're at home and we know you're you're the number one domestic rider on the scene here in Ireland based on the the 2020 short-lived racing that happened last year Um, what was it like starting your very first race as a professional athlete it was actually very scary and i definitely thrown in the deep end so first race as a professional was challenge mallorca and so i was racing the likes of alejandro valverde world champion at the time you know against all the big teams dan martin was racing and you know trek segrafedo sky all these teams and looking at these figures when you're the paddy coming from Roscommon, you know, of all places. Um, yeah, it was scary. I, I, I wouldn't lie there, but, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I think a lot of the time when you're viewing these big figures, you know, through your laptop, you know, live streaming races and stuff like that, you're like, oh, my God, these people are amazing and there's nothing like them. But then when you're up against them, it's not so bad. You know, they are human and they're, you're not a million miles away from them either. But, you know, it is scary and it was scary and it did take me a while to get my or to find my feet. And once I did, you know, it, it went fairly well. So it is in fairness. Would you be intimidated lining up against the likes of, of some of those infamous riders? It wasn't so much intimidation. Um, it was more of a case of, you know, how, how would I say it? Um, your, no, it wasn't intimidation. I can't really put a word to describe it, but it was just, I felt a bit out of my depth, not so much from the riders I was racing. It was just, you know, more so from the, the status of the race. You were 
competing in. It was, you know, UCI 1.1, 1.2. These are, you know, how they categorize the, the big events abroad and the professional scene. And coming from racing, you know, the amateur scenes in Italy, in France, in Belgium, and then coming to these races, you're kind of, you feel a bit out of your depth initially, not so much from the riders, but just from the distance of the races and, you know, and, you know terrain and everything like that. That's the the big part of it, and that's what would have made me felt a bit off initially. But it definitely wasn't from the riders who were racing. But yeah, once I got my feet, it was grand. You know, it became normal. It was part of my day to day from there on in. Was it important that you backed yourself, Dara, when you were on the start line of a race that you believed that you belonged there? Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that's something you learn the hard way. I think. And um, there was times before that, when I, before I started racing professionally, I was a bit unsure about how I was going. I was a bit intimidated by other riders and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, when I did learn how to, you know, believe myself and back myself, things change for, for the better. You know, it's amazing how much, you know, confidence can give you an edge going into a race. And um, my first professional race, I was full of confidence. And we were quite a new team at the time. And there was guys there who didn't have as much confidence as I did. And normally they'd be regarded as better riders than me. But they started to crumble where I was, you know, at the business end of things, you could say, just because I had, you know, strong belief in myself. What what age were you when you took part in your first pro race? I would have been first pro race, first UCI ranked race. I would have been 19 at the time. And... Um, and racing full-time as a professional would have been 21 at the time. So when did you leave Ireland to go pursue your dream of being a professional cyclist? I was 19 at the time, um, quite green at the time, leaving leaving Roscommon, heading over to Monaco of all places. The, the, I, then I did feel out of my depth at the time because it was a big change in scene and a big change of environment and everything like that. So 19 years of age, it was, you know, the first flight out of here on the pursuit of the dream as they say was it difficult to leave home oh it was yeah and you know i think lads a lot of the time they think oh they're these big strong figures and asher i'll be grand there won't be a problem with me but you know there was times there where i was like oh my god i really want to get home i just want to see my mammy my daddy (laughs) i want mammy's uh dinner on a sunday simple things like that that's what you miss uh yeah um and look, I wouldn't have admitted that at the time, but I think I'm a bit more mature now, you could say. And now I definitely would admit that. In terms of the the racing and the distances, what race or distance was the most difficult to excel at? It wasn't really more so from distance. I think when you are a professional, um, distance doesn't really come into the equation. It can be, you know... I think the big one would have been in terms of, you know, elevation gain. So climbing and racing and stuff like that. You could be throwing a race with 4,000 metres of climbing. Uh, we were racing in China and we were racing up to 4,000 metres of altitude. So that just puts things into perspective, you know. It's a totally different condition compared to, you know, just going out racing on the flat for three hundred k for example. You could have a 150k race with 5,000 metres total elevation gain throughout the race. And that's very, very hard when you're, when you're not suited with 
to that type of racing when you're a bit heavier, you know, you're not these real skinny uh, rider, you know, from the south of France or from Italy. That's when it's hard, especially for an Irish rider going over who had no experience of this, especially racing on that circuit when you're when they were younger from climbing and stuff like that. You know, it's something that you have to grow up with nearly to be good at it. And do you think having come from Ireland, you were at a disadvantage to tackling some of those big climbs? Oh, definitely. Uh, look, in the south of France, even, or in Italy, um, you know, you have climbs there that were 1,500 metres elevation gain for the entire climb. I come from Roscommon, so the highest climb that I have in Roscommon is 60 metres in elevation gain. So there's a, there's a big difference in the two, so there is, you know, and you're definitely at a big disadvantage there on that front. So how do you put yourself into the mix with some of those riders? What, what did you have to do to be able to match them and beat them? Well, that's where I made some massive mistakes um, in my cycling career, you could say. Um, the first thing that I thought I had to do was lose weight. And I had this in the back of my mind the whole time that I need to get light. And the lighter I am the faster I'm going to go up the climb, you know, because I'm racing these guys who are 50 kilos, whatever they are. I'm 63, 64 kilos. So I lost seven kilos in the, basically, you could say the first year I went over there. And that had a massive negative effect on my performance. Initially, I thought that the lighter I am, the faster I'm going to go up these hills. And eventually I get to the point where I'm competing and I'm at the business end of races getting results. But that's not how it worked. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of power. Um, my mental health was, you know, in a negative uh, place at the time because of this, because of starving my body, not providing it with what it should be having. And that's the route I went down initially. And that's the route that I thought I had to go down. And the team I was with at the time, it just didn't have that um, education for the riders and it was a slippery slope from there and it did take me the guts of two years to start recovering from that and I would say from 2020 that was you know that was my true reflection on how good I am because I you know I've learned from my mistakes and I didn't focus on weight anymore but you know there is you know horses for courses when it comes to these things and sometimes you just have to accept that right a hilly course or racing the mountains that's not going to be for me. My day will come. I just have to survive these races until my day does come. You mentioned, um, you know, the whole weight loss thing and the team. Was there a lot of pressure between yourself and the other riders or was there a lot of competition between you uh, with regards to weight and performance or did you actually operate like a supportive team? No, it's fun it's a funny one. Um, and if we did operate like a supportive team, I think overall the whole unit of the team could have done better but we were living in a house which is on the side of the Col de la Madone it's the famous climb in the south of France and um, look there was seven to ten of us living in, in the house at the, any one time and we were not friends we did not get along with each other or anything like that and everything was competitive absolutely everything it didn't seem like competitive at the time but now that I look back on it it was so we were all comparing ourselves to each other, you know, he's lighter than me, oh, he's lighter than me, and you'll be having your breakfast in the morning, and he, some writer would say to you, oh, what are you eating that for? You're going to get fat, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, you know, it just, it was, it was so, so, it was such a bad environment, the time to be in, in order to progress as a writer, and, you know, that 
you know, and a number of different things, you know, they all combine together to just have this one nasty, nasty recipe. Um, but look, you know, a lot of it is self-inflicted, you know. A lot, it's not that you are told to do this by one person and, you know, it's just that environment and that environment leads you to do strange things and that's how it worked, you know. But living in the house, was it was a tough experience, you know. You were nearly going for training really early in the morning so you didn't have to see people at breakfast time because they'd be judging you what you were eating. They'd be asking you what weight you were that morning, you know, a number of different things. And then when you get back, they're gone training, so you didn't have to see them at all. And when you're having your dinner, they're up in the room recovering from the training. So you just it's it's just a constant cycle of that for two years. And it just it was a really, really hard place, hard position to be in. But look, you know, I think it's was character building in a way that's the only way I can look at it uh, at this moment in time but yeah it, it can be difficult so it can but it must have affected your own performance as well Dara if you were you know battling with the lads in the house versus working together to be stronger as a team yes it definitely did you know and I always say to people environment is a massive massive component you know just in improving in every aspect in life whether it's just your own mental health and well-being or your physical capacity as a, as an athlete your environment has a lot to answer for and when I came from Ireland look I was back home my parents they were supportive you have mammy's dinners you have you know daddy giving you the pat on the back and that's you know that did allow me to develop really well as a rider but you know I left that I went into this environment that was quite toxic and, you know, it did really push the brakes on in terms of my improving uh, physically and mentally, you could say. But it did benefit me in a way, um, especially now, because now I know not to go back to that position. Now I know that when these moments arise in the future, that they're not for me. They may have a hindrance on me improving in my performance. But, you know, I think there's a message in that for everybody. It just goes back to the environment and the people you're surrounded yourself with um, in general is a massive, massive part to do with it. And I think that's a very valid point that you make now as well, that we're still in lockdown in Ireland, potentially for the next, you know, two months or so. What they're telling us, obviously not confirmed today on the day of the interview, maybe by the time it goes live next week, uh, it will have been confirmed. But you're absolutely absolutely right about the environment and about being able to control bits and pieces of our environment. So whilst most of our environment is out of our control now because of COVID, the little things we can control are so important for us. Absolutely, you know, and that's that's as simple as getting up in the morning and having a conversation with whoever's in the house with you at that moment in time, simple things like that, and just maintaining some sort of routine because it's so, so important. You know, you can't really emphasize it enough. I think we're always searching for secrets and stuff like that and how to get better as an athlete, but we really need to focus on the stuff that's right in front of us at any moment in time, which is your environment ultimately. You mentioned there about the, the toxic environment and the effects it had on your, your mental health. Was it difficult to come out and, and talk about those difficulties that would have affected your mental health going forward? Definitely, you know, I look back on it now and it brings a smile to my face because I eventually did come out of that. But any time that I came home, I'd be very close to my sister and she always knew that, Jesus, Dara, you're not yourself, you're not yourself. And 
you know, you brush it under the carpet and it's a typical Irish thing, you know, Asher and Grand, there's not a thing wrong with me. Sure, what be wrong with me? There's not a thing wrong with me. And, you know, eventually it did come to that point where, look, you know, I was having a conversation and it just, with my parents and it just came out, you know, and one thing led to another and it was just like open the zip. It's like that ad on the TV. Did you ever see that ad on the TV where the woman's over the sink and you just open the zip and she's like, ah, jeez, that's great. <laughs> that's what it was like, you know, and I know I can laugh at that now, but at that moment in time, it was a totally different situation. But yeah, it was very important to just, you know, open your mouth about it, you know, and I think going forward from that, you know, if there was ever something on my mind, you know, it's just very important to talk about it before it manifests into something that can be nasty, you could say. Did you feel under pressure in Monaco to perform, even with all of this going on, that you had to kind of save face for the folks back home, for your mum, for your dad, for your coach, your mentor, for the people who had, I suppose, invested in you getting to where you were at the time? Did you ever feel that that was part of a, a big load of pressure? Definitely, you know, and I don't know if it's just an Irish thing, but um, it might be the same in other countries. I think we're always thinking about uh, what will he think if I do this and if I do that, what will they think? And, you know, you have so many people backing you. You have your own personal sponsors and everything like that. And you're always trying to do your best for them. And then you forget to perform for you, which is the most important person at that time. And, you know, that pressure you put on yourself to perform for yourself, but more pressure to perform for the people who are, you know, just giving you the words of encouragement and supporting you in general. That is very, very heavy. And, you know, it's it's a case of you have to manage that. And I don't have an answer for that. Uh, at this moment in time but there was definitely a factor there that you know did <laughs> go into that recipe of you know just having a hard time at that moment. So you finished up at Monaco where did you go after that? I went with Evo Pro Racing so they were Irish professional team um, that was it's still run by Morgan Fox and that's where I went to after that. Monaco was an under-23 team, and I was kind of, look, the years in Monaco didn't go too well, and I was, you know, I missed out on a lot of results and a lot of opportunities because of the, the circumstances that I put myself through at the time. And luckily enough, um, I had a good end to the season in my last year. Um, I was getting up in some of the bigger under-23 races initially, and Morgan came along, who was the manager of the team, and he says, look, you're doing well. I think there's a, a good opportunity for you to race as a professional. And that went from there, really. And look, that was a fantastic opportunity. Great year of racing. But, you know, in the end, I just came to a decision for myself. I had the opportunity to go back uh, racing professionally with Evo Pro and with other teams. And I just said to myself, look, I need a break from all of this. And I just need to find out who Dara Feely really is and what Dara Feely really wants. Um, and that was the most important thing. And that was the best decision that I ever made. And, you know, I'm happy now. I'm performing well as a consequence of that. And it's amazing what happens, you know, <laughs> along the road, so it is. Was it hard to make that decision to come home? It was, yeah. And that all went back to, you know, the question that you had earlier on is, you know, the pressure that, you know, people are expecting you to do X, Y, and Z in terms of performance. And, you know, you have a lot of people backing you and you're always saying to yourself, oh, if I stop now, people are going to think this and people are going to think that. And I did have to make the decision for myself. 
And, you know, it's amazing what having a good environment and being in a good environment can allow you to make these decisions that bit better. And, you know, look, it was a very tough decision. But when I did make the decision and when I did sit down with um, the people who were close to me, it made, made a massive difference. And I'm delighted I did make that decision. Um, to be honest with you. Do you think um, over the course of your career abroad, did your state of mind and your training and the pressure you're putting yourself on, did that affect your life in other ways, your relationships with other people? Did you, because, you know, a lot of athletes, um, professional athletes and even some age group athletes will be, you know, when we're in the zone, we're just so selfish. We just, because everything revolves around our training or around hitting a peak performance point or a race or something. So was that part of it as well, Dara? Yeah, definitely. And you know, I lost a lot of friends throughout the years just because of, you know, being that selfish athlete. And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. But, you know, there's times there where I was just being a complete and utter asshole, uh, for better words, you know. And, you know, I did miss out on, you know, a lot of opportunities to socialize. I did lose a lot of friends throughout the years. But, you know, that was all part of being an athlete at that moment in time. That's not how I would recommend someone else to go down their road of improving as an athlete. But, you know, unfortunately, that's the path I took. And it's it's amazing, you know, what happens because of that. So you came home, COVID came. You came home, COVID came with it. <laughs> Maybe not with you, but... You... <laughs> But you, you came home racing on the domestic scene for, for 2020. Was it nine straight wins you had with Velo Revolution is the team that you're with now? Yeah, Velo Revolution, yeah. Yeah, an incredible season. But the question I have to ask you is, was it difficult to turn up on the start line of that first race as the ex-professional athlete now on the domestic scene? Definitely, definitely. And initially there was a lot of pressure there because you're saying to yourself, right, I've been racing abroad as professionally for, professionally for the past number of years and I have to do well. And thankfully, I did. But you're the marked man. So when I moved, the whole peloton came after me. It, there, was no, there was no hiding, you could say, and I did have to work for my um, results. And it's amazing, you know, look, there's a lot of riders racing in Ireland at the moment and the level is very, very good. There's a lot of very, very good riders there and a lot of them don't back themselves and they don't realise how good they actually are. And to be honest with you, there was times there where I found it harder racing in Irish races than I did in positions where I was racing professionally. It's amazing the standard of, you know, the the Irish athletes, so it is. In looking at your season for for 2020, what was the highlight of the the nine races um, you won? Was there one in particular that would stand out for you? Um... There isn't one really that stood out for me. I think the big thing for me last year was I enjoyed the whole season. And, you know, results, the results were great. And it's really nice to get results, you know, from all the hard work that you're putting into it. But the fact that I could turn up to a race and have fun and just socialize with people and, you know, there's good banter, there's slagging beforehand, you know, simple things like that that you were missing for the past number of years. That really, really did drive me on. And I love that, you know, more than the racing in itself. And um, there was no standout, you know, result for me or anything like that. But it was just, you know, just getting to know people. It was the socializing side of things. That's the thing that I did enjoy when it came to racing in Ireland. 
Yeah, because when you look back at it, you know, you left the country at the height of your teenage years and were already working hard as an athlete for all those years when your peers were in college or having the crack or out cycling the roads yeah. in Ireland as A3, A4, A2, A1 riders, maybe some of them that you'd be, uh, would have been up against as a young lad had, had now moved on in the Irish circuit. Um, so you did miss out on a little bit of the kind of the fun and the crack that some of the lads might have had uh, when you were over yeah. abroad. That's for sure. But you know, you don't need to do that. And when I was racing, you know, especially on the Irish team um, around, say, the World Championships, European Championships, you know, you're you're there with the likes of Sam Bennett, Nicholas Roach, Ryan Mullen. You go out the night after the race and you meet all the big world tour names and stuff like that. And we're all social creatures and we all need that social life. You know, it's so, so important. I remember training with Philip Gilbert when I was in Monaco and any professional I trained with when I was in Monaco, I was always picking their brains, trying to get some bit of information that I thought I didn't have at the time. And they were always giving me the most basic of answers at the time. You know, you just need to let the hair down every now and again. You know, you need to have a night out, you know, do stuff like that, go for cake, eat bad food every now and again. Don't be so hard on yourself all of the time because that can have a negative effect on your performance. And I always looked at them with two faces as I was saying to myself, why are you saying that? Because that's not irrelevant. But now I look back on it, or it's not relevant, sorry. Now I look back on it and I realize, Jesus Christ, if I only took that information on at that moment in time, things probably would have been a lot better. You know, it's it's amazing, you know, how important having that social life, you know, just things like that are all part of uh, that jigsaw puzzle. So there. So when you came home, did you go mad? Did you go Jesus, wild? No, I, I didn't go on this 10 day bender or anything like that. <laughs> but Jesus, I'm telling you, once these restrictions lift, it's on the cards. Maybe not 10 days, but a few days anyway. And <laughs> I did let my hair down for a bit, yeah, but, you know, it was in a controlled manner. It wasn't any of these Project X-style, you know, <laughs> lunacy parties or anything like that. But, you know, it was nice to do that. I did have a good few nights out. You know, normally you're coming home over the Christmas time, which is a great period to just socialise with people and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I haven't properly got a, a night out at home you know since I left racing professionally because of the COVID situation but look it is what it is but um yeah it's a funny one so it is I could go on about that all day. So <laughs> has your training changed much now since you've come home? Training changed much? No definitely not I think what has changed much is uh, changed a lot is my life around training so I'm focusing on the basics away from training you know training is is all well and good but you know if your environment isn't great off the bike if you're not sleeping properly if you're not focusing on your nutrition simple stuff like that by nutrition i don't mean you know salads the whole time and you know mango smoothies and turmeric and all that freaking fairy dust you know yourself and it's just simple stuff you know having meals with people and, you know, eating plenty and, you know, doing the basics right. And they just have a massive compound uh, compound effect over time. And it's amazing, you know, you just really need to focus on this sort of stuff. And that's what I've been doing. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing out of this world that I've changed in terms of training approaches or anything like that. And um, I think the biggest, the biggest clue that, um, you know, my success of last year 
uh, left would it be you know you just have to be happy in order to perform well so you do yeah, it's it's sound advice. It's a bit like just stacking the paper consistency across all yeah. of the pillars around, you know, performance, nutrition, sleep, recovery. It's one big kind of uh, circle, really. But you've got yeah. the little points in it that you need to hit every day. Absolutely. You know, and it's I'm sure, look, you know, every athlete you talk to will say the same thing. And look, I think a lot of us don't want to agree with it because, as humans, we always want to know that we want to try and find out that there's maybe there's something different that I'm missing out on or something like that. We're always curious by nature, but you know the reality is there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's just it's just that hard work, and so that's rubbish. But look, it is what it is, really. K I S S wasn't it? Somebody said, "Keep it simple, stupid." Oh, stop! As stupid is very important at the end of that. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you what you would do differently if you had your time over again, but I kind of get a sense of it already, unless there's something yeah. extra you'd you'd like no. to, to tell us. No, I think I've answered a lot of that, um, you know, just from my previous ramblings, you could say. And to other riders, maybe young riders that are listening in or to maybe mums and dads of young riders that are listening in, you know, what advice would you give to those youth riders now coming through that would show some talent, some skills, some um, ability that could potentially see them become the next Dara Feely, Dan Martin, Nicholas yeah. Roach, Sam Bennett, yeah. Sean Kelly? I would definitely say um leave your options open don't just put yourself down this pigeonhole of right i have to go abroad and live like a monk and do stuff like that forget about everything else that's important and um, it's important to just give yourself plenty of options whether that's education or you know do an apprenticeship or you know give yourself time get a job for a couple of years and see what you really want to do have some time to think about it and um, that would be my advice don't rush into it because a lot of the time i think when a writer is coming from ireland especially a younger writer they think that oh, i have to go abroad and do all of this because we hear stories of the past that look technically aren't true and we only hear the sugar coating of it really and um, look that that would be my bit of advice but you know just give yourself plenty of options and you make a decision for you don't be making it on, you know, because of someone said you should do this or you're under pressure from another party. Uh, don't go down that route because ultimately that will just lead to possible uh, unhappiness. <laughs> so as well. And maybe early burnout as well if they don't look after themselves. Absolutely. And burnout doesn't have to just come from training. It can come from the mental side of things, you know, all the pressure that you're putting on yourself and lack of social life, you could say, simple things like that. You know, burnout is a big factor and it doesn't have to come from training. So when you were growing up, Dara, did you always want to be a professional athlete or a professional cyclist? And if you hadn't gone down the cycling and the pro ranks, what do you think you'd be at now? Jesus. <laughs> when you were a kid growing up in school did you did you want to be I, in sport did you want to travel I loved, I loved tractors and stuff like that you know you would have always found me out the back of the house playing in piles of gravel out the back um like if you if my mum was on the podcast this the stories that she'd be saying about me when I was younger you know, I'd be locked up because of it. It's just stupid stuff. So it wasn't, you know, that leads to me not knowing exactly what I want to do. But sure, look, it's it's a case of go with the flow, I suppose you could say. 
Um, I'm sure I would have found something to do, but um, I do not think it would have been sport-related. I probably would have taken a different path altogether, so I would have. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago, and, and by the way, we'd love to get your mum on the podcast. We might have to give her a little cameo appearance um, to come in. Um, you mentioned there about when you decided to retire from professional cycling, about you needed to find out who the real Dara Feely was and what he wanted to be. Have you figured out who the real Dara Feely is? Um, I have, yeah. The real Dara Feely is someone who is bubbly, happy, having the crack the whole time and, you know, loves talking to people, st- uh, simple things like that. That's who the real Dara Feely is. He's a, a social creature by nature. That's who Dara Feely is. And what Dara Feely wants to do for the rest of his life or the foreseeable future, yeah, look, I like my coaching side of things. I like that. But to be honest with you, I think if we all ask ourselves, Jesus, what would I do or what do I want to do for the rest of my life? I don't think we have an answer for that, really, to be honest with you. I'm sure you're probably in the same position, Joanne. Are you? I think you go with the flow, don't you? Hashtag winging it. My middle name, <laughs> Joanne. Hashtag winging it, Murphy. Um, I think we all are. I, I, think, says lying. I think we're definitely on a COVID roller coaster at the moment. We don't know what we're at, even though try and get some level of routine every day the swimming for me at the moment and the bit of swifting and a little bit of running now as well which is all good now the next question has escaped me it was in my head and now I can't remember what it was <laughs> oh, look we've all been in those positions aren't we wish you luck <laughs> what can you do oh yeah sorry the coaching yeah I was going to come back because you mentioned your coaching there and of course we do know that you are coaching John O'Finan uh, and Seb from uh, Aaron Moore well Poland but living up in Aaron Moore but you are coaching quite a few people at the moment was it a big change to go from the athlete to the coach definitely yeah um the athlete is easy coach and um, because the athlete and we all have an athlete within us i think that i noticed that from you know just coaching from all the individuals i've coached you know the athlete is just tell me what to do and i'll do it uh, the individual there's more to the individual there's their stories there's their personality there's all that that comes to it they're two totally different characters altogether so they're it's interesting listening to you Dara I think gosh you're only 24 years of age it should talk like a, a person who's been around for many many years my god Jesus at the rate I'm going I'll be in the nursing home <laughs> like that when Covid is gone we'll say we're living successfully with Covid what would you like to do when we can break free oh It'll definitely just, it'll be ride my bike. There's nothing different to what I'm doing now. Um, obviously, look, I'd love to get out and just have a bit of a social life and just have the crack with my mates and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, there's not a lot that I would change. I'm quite content at the moment, so I am. I love look ringing up someone um, who, who I'm coaching and having a conversation with them that's nothing to do with pedaling a bicycle or anything like that. And, um, you know, um, as long as I have those simple things, I'm happy out. I'm not complaining, to be honest with you. But, yeah, the first thing, maybe something extravagant would be I'd like to travel somewhere different. And I don't know what different is at this moment in time, to be honest with you. I thought you were going to say somewhere warm where there's no puddles. <laughs> There's puddles everywhere you go, you know that. Where it rains, there's puddles. You need to get the Roscommon County Council out to fix the roads for the puddles. And speaking of the County Council, um, did I see as well that you were doing some stuff with the sports partnership? Yeah, so I I work as a sports tutor with the Roscommon Sports Partnership whenever I can. 
and we do cycle safety training. We work with um, people with disabilities, um, just sports tutoring in general. And that's brilliant, you know, and that's, it's it's coaching. It is coaching, and it's amazing, um, you know, all the different characters you meet out and about from kids to people in their 80s. It's just, it's an amazing experience, God is. And it's, the amount you can learn from these people is, is incredible. Who have been the biggest influences in your life to date that you've learned from? Oh, definitely be my parents. Definitely would be my parents. When I do get a chance to have... Uh, a civil conversation with my parents and uh, sometimes we're arguing and stuff like that that's common do you not say. do the washing up oh geez i'm serious doing the washing up i do all that sort of things but it's just stupid arguments you know yourself that you know you're just having one of them diva moments and um, when i do have you know civil conversations with my parents you know it's amazing how you know just learning from them giving you advice from their experience and you taking it on board, you know, how relevant it is um, in everyday life and in all the different situations that you encounter. It's incredible. And um, definitely would be my parents. Um, and look, other relatives as well. It's not my parents. There's a massive amount of people who are there, you know, that I can go to for advice. It's, it's amazing. We all need those characters in our lives because they do shape us, so they do. And in terms of cycling heroes... Would there be anyone in particular? Cycling heroes. Oh, yeah. There's there's a professional, a former professional rider. I'm not too sure if many people would have heard of him. It's Yanni Brakovic. He's a Slovenian rider. He would have, you know, been racing in tours. He would have been getting top ten and tens in the Tour de France and stuff like that. I think. I look up to him because he's so vocal on the social media side of things. He speaks about reality when it comes to riders mental health racing professionally you know and he's just so open and it's amazing how much clarity riders like him can you know influence people like me and it's very very important to have these characters because cycling is a small bubble and everything can be kept hush hush a lot of the time and it's good to have someone who's just speaking out and saying how it is i don't really look up to him from a performance point of view but i look up to him because of just his character more so that's that would be i'm not one of these guys i love uh chris froome because he won x y and z i I like people because of their character more than anything if i was to go up and race against you this year dara what would it take for me to beat you (laughs) oh jesus it'd take plenty of dinners anyway because i ate like a horse (laughs) and oh jeez i don't know I think just focus on yourself because one thing that I do notice when I go to races and uh, people I'm racing with, they're always concerned about, oh, Dara Feely's doing this in the race and Dara Feely's doing that in the race. And then they forget about themselves, you know, and it's, it's, that's quite broad for nearly every area of endurance sports. You have to focus on yourselves because you're the main cog in the wheel. And if you forget about that, you know, it, it just doesn't function properly. So, yeah, look, I think people should focus on themselves when they're racing against me and they want to beat me next year. I shouldn't have said that, but look, it is what it is and it adds an element of challenge to it going forward. <laughs> Absolutely, and sure, I'm doing so well in Zwift, I'll be an A rider before we get back road racing properly. Jesus, yeah, you're motoring on Zwift. 
Zwift is a it, it's a great tool. I'm telling you, you know, it's just from a social point of view and just performance point of view, it's it's savage, savage. It definitely ticks a, an awful lot of the boxes you mentioned there, from the training to the social aspect to even just wanting to get onto your turbo trainer. And for a lot of people, that's that's hard. They just don't like the monotony of the turbo trainer. I know there's Sufferfest oh, and there's. Yeah. Ruby and there's so many other trainer road and loads of them but for me my choice is is, is Zwift particularly yeah I love I love those platforms and any platform that has the ability to bring you know a massive a number of people together even if it's in an online setting or a virtual setting it's incredible and a lot of people are bashing Zwift because oh you're doing too much high intensity and stuff like that but who cares you know it's it's the social side of things it's the enjoyment side of things and having that is just fantastic you know it's probably for for all of us it's our only escapism in this day and age so it is apart from your swimming across the Atlantic well I ha I'm not sure about swimming across the Atlantic I might try swim to food again soon uh, when the water temperature picks up but you know it, it's funny when you think about it myself and Oliver have our Monday night Zwift spin with the uh, team racing without borders formerly uh, team Ireland cycling but you know we're getting an average of 180 people every Monday night tuning in for that spin like you'd, you'd rarely get that many people tuning in for an A4 race in Galway of a night Crazy, it's, yeah. it's amazing and, and it has opened up a huge amount of communication between people and built a lovely online community and it's not about killing yourself it's 60 minutes and you can choose to jump on the sprints or you can sit in behind Oliver at 2.2 watts or you can sit in behind me at 1.8 uh, watts average as well And but it's more about having the fun and it's more about oh, having it in absolutely. the diary of, of a Monday night for the routine you might yeah. have to join us one of the nights I will, but at the rate you're going, Joanne, I don't know if I'll be able to. <laughs> I'll give you a bit of my wheel. Some, I'll give you a bit of my wheel. Uh, there's, there's no hiding. I know, but look, that's that's so true. You know, it's there's so much more to, you know, especially I think with Zwift has taught us there's so much more to sport in general than just performance. It's it's that social element to it. It's there's a number of different things, and you know we've missed out on that the past while, and that's one thing that COVID has brought to us maybe a sense of community on that side of things, which is fantastic, you know, and long live Zwift, great tool. I can see it thriving even when, you know, the whole situation we're in does lift, you know, it's there to stay, so it is, which is brilliant. Well, it's probably there to stay, but hopefully we'll get back on our bikes out on the road uh, sooner, <laughs> oh, than, yeah. sooner than later. Dara, thank you so much for joining me on the show. If anybody wants to get in touch about coaching, where can they find you? They can find me at darafeelycoaching.com or they can contact me through my social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. Simple as that. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you so much again for joining me. It's been a blast. I'm glad to see the real Dara Feely is full of crack and banter and a bit of fun and uh, well, well able to talk as well. <laughs> Actually, that was great crack, Joanne. Thanks a million. Unreal. Good to have an unscripted conversation. Just go with the flow, you could say. It's brilliant. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me across all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi, let me know what you think of the show. Don't forget to check out our previous episodes. You will be impressed and inspired by our guests. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the show. And if you have two minutes to spare, a review of the show would be awesome. Don't forget to join the fun on Friday for the Tri Commute. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Yeah.